Greetings, everyone. I'm Jeffrey K. Lyons, and it's Tuesday, December the 12th, and this is Narrative Wars. We have a very special program today on Narrative Wars. We start with COP28. Uh, this is the annual climate change conference, and it's taken place all over the world. This year, it was hosted in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. Now, something special happened in this recent meeting, and it's gaining headlines all over the world. And turning to the United States, the president's favorite son is back in the news. Hunter Biden has been indicted once again, this time for tax evasion. And you'd be surprised why this may not actually be a good thing for Republicans in Congress. And finally, Congressman George Santos, he's out of Congress, he's gone, but Republicans may regret their decision to expel him from Congress. These stories and the bigger picture on today's episode of Narrative Wars. I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons, and you don't want to miss this. We the people are sick and tired. Let's peel back the curtain of confusion to shed light upon the mainstream media madness. And now, Narrative Wars with your host, Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired. So tired. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Narrative Wars. The primary reason why we do this program is to educate the audience and to allow you to have the tools which you need to have in order to discern when you're being gas lit or when gas lighting is taking place. In other words, when you're being lied to in a big way and in a repeated way over and over. One of the greatest lies of modern times is that the world is about to go up in flames and that if human beings don't do something about it quickly, we're all going to die. Every year, the COP conference takes place. It moves from country to country, and the COP conference, that stands for Conference of Parties. Uh, this is an interview that we're going to listen to. Alex Epstein, author of The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. Now, Alex is responding to COP28 and the devastating announcement from the president of that conference, Sultan Al-Jaber, and he has claimed that there is no science indicating that a phase-out of fossil fuels is needed to restrict global heating uh, to 1.5 degrees centigrade. Well, it seems that the global warming crisis narrative is now collapsing with this announcement from the Sultan. Let's give a listen to this interview with author of the book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, Alex Epstein. This is cut number 1A. Now, my first guest tonight is Alex Epstein, who advocates for the expansion of fossil fuels and rejects the scientific consensus on climate change. Alex is the author of The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels and Fossil Future, in which he argues for the expanded use of fossil fuels like coal, oil and natural gas. Yeah, great to be here. Alex, 
Sultan Al-Jaber, head of COP28, and his comments about how the retreat from fossil fuels will force the people of the world back into caves. What say you about such a person saying such a thing at such a place and time? Well, I think the part about the caves is 100% true. The other thing he said is not quite true, but it's let's talk about the caves part first. So fossil fuels provide 80% of the world's energy. They're still growing. They're growing because they're uniquely cost effective. That's why China has 300 new coal plants in develop, more, development, more than that, uh, actually. And human beings need energy to use machines to prosper and flourish. And the world needs way more energy. So getting rid of fossil fuels means putting us back in the cave, no question at all. Now, clearly, we live in an industrialized society in the United States. Uh, if 80% of our energy is from fossil fuels, that is coal, that is petroleum products, that is natural gas. If 80% is created from these products and suddenly the spigot is turned off, suddenly those sources of energy would not be available, we would go back into the dark ages. We're not set up as farms. We're not self-sufficient. As a nation, we don't live off the grid. We are dependent upon the grid. And of course, factories need electricity in order to produce products for consumers. All of this is very basic. Now, that interview was from GBN News, December 9, 2023. Now, full disclosure here, I am a skeptic of the climate narrative, and I know a number of you want to reach immediately and turn off the dial. I would ask you to stay with me because I'm about to deliver the receipts. I'm not asking you to agree with me. I'm just asking you to keep an open mind and listen to the types of people who I am listening to who are climate scientists and well-known researchers and scientists in this field, and they do not support the climate narrative. So there is no consensus worldwide, even though they've been telling you that. And for many of you, you've heard that ever since you were in kindergarten. So you've been hearing that all your life. So to hear some podcaster tell you that there is no climate crisis uh, right now, you're probably doing flip-flops, and it's a painful thing to hear in your ear. I understand. It's called cognitive dissonance. But hang on. I'm going to give the receipts. And again, I'm not asking you to agree with me. You know, a lifetime of hearing this narrative is not going to change because of one podcast. But it may send you down a road, a path where you can do some investigating yourself to find out if I'm crazy or if these thousands of scientists that I'm referring to who disagree with the climate narrative actually have something reasonable to say. Now, here's a couple of reasons why I am a climate narrative skeptic. One, climate change activism is a multi-billion dollar industry. And here's a bit of interesting information in a recent article from Reuters, COP28 Crowds, A Dangerous Distraction or Sign of Success. This is December the 4th, 2023. And in the article, they note that there is a record 
84,000 registered attendees for this year's Conference of Parties, also known as COP28, in Dubai. Now, that's a big change from the very first COP conference, which was held in Berlin back in 1995, when there were only 4,000 delegates attending that conference. So, This is another interesting uh, development here. One researcher noted that it's a lobby fest where polluters can schmooze with politicians all under the guise of tackling climate change. Well, indeed, the dirty little secret is that there are billions of dollars at stake. You've got all sorts of countries there that would like to collect some of this money. You've got contractors there which want to sell the EV batteries and the EV cars and the windmills that generate electricity and all the various green uh, apparati, uh, which uh, goes along with the climate change agenda. So 84,000 people there in order to schmooze with one another when billions of dollars are up in the air and at stake. And uh, this is what is now taking place, uh, all under the guise of climate change. This is the conference of parties, parties that are both state actors, non-state actors, NGOs, all the various groups that basically benefit monetarily from the climate change narrative. So keep in mind, if you switch off of one source of energy, you have to build something for the other source of energy. People aren't going back to gathering sticks and building fires and living the way they did. These are the people that show up. They want the contracts. They want the money. And they want to build these new forms of energy generation. So keep in mind, these aren't just a bunch of do-gooders. These are engineers. These are people in the construction field and they have their hands out and they are looking for business. It is a multi-billion dollar industry and it is purely hedonistic in terms of they're doing it to benefit themselves. Now, climate change activism It seeks to deindustrialize the world. So what happens? The countries that are already industrialized, they're going to find a way to have other sources of energy. But the poor countries are going to stay poor. Part of the narrative says that industrialization is a bad thing. We don't want more factories. So even if it switches to another source of power, we don't want more factories. We want people living a simpler lifestyle. So the poor countries will stay poor and the countries that are more modern in terms of industrialization, they will stay modern. They'll just use a different source of energy. These are all reasons why I am a climate narrative skeptic because there's money involved, big, big money, and they're not just doing this out of the kindness of their heart to save the planet. There's a whole lot more involved, and we shouldn't be naive. We should really dig into what is really taking place here. Don't let yourself be gaslit. Finally, the big point. The big point is that scientists have a consensus 
All scientists agree, 99 point, who knows what, 99.5%, how do they come up with these numbers of the scientists? They all agree that climate change is, that is driven by human beings. That's referred to as anthropogenic climate change. Is it? Is there really a consensus? The founder of Greenpeace, Patrick Moore, is on record with the United States Senate. He states that there's no proof. That's Dr. Patrick Moore, co-founder of Greenpeace, says there's no proof that humans cause climate change. Nobel Prize winner Dr. John Clauser just recently made the announcement that he rejects the idea of man-made or anthropogenic climate change. He says that it's a natural process. There's also the World Climate Declaration, signed by thousands of scientists along with other declarations, and it states there's no climate emergency. In addition, climate scientist Dr. Judith Curry, she rejects the idea that climate change is threatening the planet and humans are causing the problem. And basically what all these scientists have in common, they're all saying that there are natural heating and cooling cycles on Earth that have absolutely nothing to do with human beings. They have more to do with cycles from the sun and the orbit of the planets around the sun. A global network of over 1,800 scientists and professionals have prepared an urgent message, and it says climate science should be less political while climate policies should be more scientific. The Geological Archive reveals that Earth's climate has varied as long as the planet has existed with natural cold and warm phases. The Little Ice Age, and if you do a little bit of research about geology, every geologist in every university around the world is aware of what I'm about to tell you. But most High school students aren't because they aren't taught this information. The Little Ice Age ended as recently as 1850. Therefore, it is no surprise that we're now experiencing a period of warming. It's predictable. Very easy to look up these graphs and look up this information. So don't believe me. Look it up. I'm going to put the links in the show notes and I'm, what I'm asking you is to do some research on your own. Don't allow yourself to be gaslit by the narrative that says we're all going to die if we don't do certain things. A lot of people are making a lot of money, billions and billions of dollars. It is a huge industry and it's being propelled by fear. It's being propelled by gaslighting. It's being propelled by inadequate information, misinformation, and yet there are a few courageous scientists, such as Dr. Patrick Moore, founder of Greenpeace, Nobel Prize winner John Clauser, the signatures to the World Climate Declaration, and Dr. Judith Curry. And this represents thousands of scientists around the world that say, no, this is a natural process. Human beings didn't cause this. So the next time you hear there's a consensus that all scientists 
believe in human cause or anthropogenic global warming, you can say that simply is not true. And you now have the information to bring the receipts. Well, we're going to move into our next story, which is related. Uh, at the same time that COP is taking place or took place in the United Arab Emirates, uh, there's more evidence uh, that the climate change narrative is collapsing. In our previous story, we announced that the president of COP28, and that's Sultan Al-Jaber, has claimed there's no science indicating that a phase-out of fossil fuels is needed to restrict global heating to 1.5 degrees centigrade. Now, that is a major, major crack in the dam. That should be a headline, top news story across the United States, across the world. But that story is being buried. It is being absolutely buried. And next to that story is the story we want to cover here. It's related. During the COP28 conference in the United Arab Emirates, there was another story that took place, and 22 nations that participated in the recent COP28 conference in UAE, they're now committing to another source of power, and that's nuclear power. Now, this is something which has been, of course, demonized over the decades, and yes, there have been major incidents. Uh, Chernobyl is one, and there was also a major incident in Japan where nuclear reactors, uh, they overheated and they caused a tremendous amount of damage. We can give many examples. Three Mile Island in New York. I'm aware of all those examples. And so the nuclear industry has been something that has been on the hit list of the environmentalists for years. Uh, nuclear, bad, get rid of them. But what just came out? This is a report, Deutsche Welle, that is a news agency in Germany funded by the German uh, government. Uh, this is a report, November the 7th, 2023, called Atomic Energy, Climate, and Russia. And what we're finding out is that there are nations all over the world that are now gearing up, ramping up for the production of nuclear energy. France is at the forefront, so is China, the United States. Let's take a listen to this. This is a cut uh, number 1B. We need to restart the great adventure of nuclear power in France. France is building six new nuclear reactors, maybe even 14. And the United States, the world's biggest producer of atomic energy, wants to save the climate with new nuclear power plants. We have some really ambitious net zero goals for the climate, and nuclear power is the clean option for that. No other country is currently building more nuclear reactors than China. The Chinese are really looking for energy wherever they can find it. And 12 years after the Fukushima disaster, even Japan wants to build new reactors. While Germany is phasing out nuclear power, other countries are ramping up their capacity. Why? Is saving the planet without atomic energy possible? Maybe one country or another can do it, but as a planet, we can't live without it, and we probably have to grow it pretty significantly. 
But who can still build nuclear power plants today? And at what price? Now, one of the dirty little secrets here is that the United States government is 100% behind nuclear power and building nuclear power plants in the United States of America. We're going to explore that. But first, let's take a look just briefly. Here's an article in The Guardian. December the 9th, 2023, Coalition Opposes Australia Tripling Renewable Energy Backs Nuclear Power Pledge at COP28. Again, in, this is COP28. All of this is happening. And so it's splitting the government in the nation of Australia. Part of the government is pro-nuclear and part of the government is not. The federal coalition has declared at the COP28 climate summit that it will back a global pledge to triple nuclear energy. But there's opposition at the same time in the nation of Australia. The statement at the global summit confirmed the coalition was on a markedly different path to labor. So the labor element in the Australian government is opposed to tripling the nuclear production capabilities in the nation of Australia. So there's no consensus in the nation of Australia. And there's no worldwide consensus either in terms of building nuclear power plants. Of course, it's absurd that there would be 100% consensus because the underdeveloped nations simply cannot afford the high, high cost of nuclear power. And nations such as the United States, which have engineers and the capacity to build these, well, they could make a lot of money, billions and billions of dollars, selling nuclear power technology to other nations. So this is very interesting. This, again, should be a headline, top of the news everywhere, that the COP28 conference, 22 nations in the world now are pushing for nuclear power. But you're not hearing this story. December the 4th, 2023, Yahoo News. Here's the title of the article. 22 countries, including the United States, pledge to triple nuclear power capacity. They want to do this by 2050 or 2050. Little more than 25 years in the future. Triple the nuclear power across the world and in the United States of America. According to the article, the U.S. and 21 other countries have said they want to triple the global generation capacity of nuclear power by the mid of this century. That's how we get 2050. Makes sense. The pledge was announced December 2nd at the United Nations COP28 Climate Summit in Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates. Now, I'm really curious if anybody in the audience heard this announcement. Maybe a few of you did. I am just one of those people that digs and tries to find more information. 
This is a buried lead story. I would challenge you to ask your neighbor, hey, did you know that 22 countries in the world want to triple nuclear power around the world? And I would suggest to you that probably 99% of the citizens in the United States of America completely unaware of this. But what they want to do is secure those contracts for billions and billions of dollars. So, Saturday's announcement, according to this article, which was written December the 4th, 2023, along with the United States, these are the other, a few of the other countries that want to triple nuclear power in their nation, Canada, the United Kingdom, France, South Korea, UAE. You notice these are all developed nations. They're the only nations that can afford this immense, immense capital investment. Now, something interesting happened in Georgia recently. This includes a two-unit expansion at the Vogtel nuclear power plant in Georgia. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but that was my best try. Unit 3 came online last summer. It took seven years additional time to build this thing, but it's come. It's online now, and it was the first newly constructed nuclear unit in the U.S. in more than 30 years. Did you see this story on the news? No, they buried it. I didn't know it came online last year. But it did. This, again, should be national headlines. They kept it on the down low because they didn't want the environmentalists to get upset. Unit 4, also in Georgia, it's expected to enter commercial operation in the next few months. Now, this article was written December 4th, 2023. Officials said the cost to build the two units came in at 34 Billion dollars. That's a lot of change. $34 billion. No, you're not going to see these being built in developing nations. They don't have that kind of coin. So this is what is taking place. They are now building nuclear power plants. They're making the contracts. They're making that commitment to do it by the middle of this century. And of course, they're going to spin it and say, that this is great for the environment, this is going to counter global warming. They have to, you know, kind of wedge it in there and fit it to the narrative so that the public will nod their heads. It's just about making a buttload of money. That's what it's about. Can I say that on this program? Yeah, I guess I can. It's my program. It's about making a heck of a lot of money, making a lot of CEOs, and companies extremely rich, and these are long-term projects all over the world, but it's going to secure the national security of a number of these nations across the world, not going to benefit the poorer nations, and when they get rid of fossil fuels, those poor nations are going to become even poorer, and that's the sad thing about this story. Moving to our next piece, Hunter Biden was indicted in California, nine counts of failing to file and pay taxes, tax evasion and filing false tax returns. Let's take a listen to this story. Uh, this is cut number uh, two. 
This morning, a dramatic escalation of the criminal investigation into Hunter Biden, the president's son now accused of a criminal scheme of tax fraud. A new indictment charging Biden with failing to pay his taxes on time and instead spending millions of dollars on an extravagant lifestyle. A federal jury in Los Angeles indicting Hunter Biden on nine counts, including three felonies. The 56-page indictment saying Biden earned millions in income between 2016 and 2020. But the defendant spent this money on drugs, escorts and girlfriends, luxury hotels and rental properties, exotic cars, clothing and other items of a personal nature. In short, everything but his taxes. Prosecutors laying out a devastating portrait of Hunter Biden creating false business deductions. Now, there is a buried lead to this story. Once this goes to trial, there could be a gag order on Hunter Biden, which would stop Hunter Biden from testifying before Congress. If you've been tracking this, the U.S. Congress has been working diligently to get Hunter Biden to testify before Congress. And it really isn't about Hunter Biden. What are they trying to get at? They're trying to find out and get on record more information regarding Hunter Biden receiving uh, payments from Burisma, the company that he was on the board with tied to Ukraine, tied to energy, payments from Chinese actors, various uh, Chinese groups, uh, Russian oligarchs. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And payments from these various uh, actors and groups uh, being funneled through businesses that Hunter Biden was a part of being funneled through to different members of the Biden family. And what Congress, the Republicans in Congress want to do is trace that to the president of the United States. That's what it's all about. So the buried lead here is that a gag order could be issued on Hunter Biden and he could uh, be prevented from testifying before Congress. You remember that in a few weeks ago before this indictment rolled out in California, that uh, Congress was pushing, pushing, pushing for Hunter to come. And there was a lot of resistance uh, going on there. Contempt of Congress uh, was being dangled out there. Uh, they were trying to do everything they could uh, to get him. The Republicans were do trying to do everything they could to get Hunter Biden to testify. He was refusing to do it. So now this new indictment, which may look like, yeah, it's a win. And look, the wheels of justice are actually turning it may actually be uh, not the case at all. It may be stopping the real dirt from coming out, tying Hunter Biden to the big guy, his father, Joe Biden. The other thing is that before we drop this story and move on to something else, the big charges are really not dropping. There's nothing here about a FARA violation, Foreign Agent Registration Act, the uh, Hunter Biden was part of Burisma and he was representing another country doing business in another country. And he was acting as an agent to parties in the United States. Monies were going back and forth, uh, being placed with a number of shell organizations and which uh, ended up into the hands of numerous members of the Biden family. So, all of this important stuff, that's not even coming out. That's not even being charged. These are uh, small potato charges 
but it ties up Hunter in court. All of this ends up making Joe Biden look very bad in the press and will contribute to his declining polls and popularity in the polls across the United States of America. Well, let's reach once again into the Narrative Wars mailbag. Ultra Maga Michelle writes, Yes, I'm very familiar with Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. Unfortunately, it's not something that can be stopped now because it's been embraced, entrenched, and accepted by the powers that be in our country. And Concerned Citizens of America writes, More and more are waking up to this fact. Pfizer's vax and boosters are bioweapons. And finally, Lady America RAT writes, Dr. Naomi Wolf and others now have massive amounts of verifiable evidence and it's gaining recognition around the world. However, Pfizer and Congress, on the other hand, they are trying to attach a new exclusion uh, for Pfizer, which would amount to protection uh, in the upcoming bill on funding. So in other words, uh, they want to slip this one in in a major funding bill and this is one of the tricks that Congress does. They slip in into a bill which must get past uh, other goodies. And uh, so they want to, uh, she's saying, uh, Lady uh, America RAT is saying that uh, they want to slip in a uh, provision to extend the indemnification for uh, Pfizer so that nobody can sue them if they take the bioweapon jab and it causes problems. Thank you uh, for all those comments, Ultra Mega Michelle, uh, Concerned Citizens of America, and also Lady America RIT. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, everybody. We really appreciate the conversation and the feedback, and you can find us on Getter. You can add your voice to the conversation that stands for liberty and the freedoms that Americans hold so dearly. Join us on social media on both Getter, that's G-E-T-T-R, and Truth Social. Just search for at Jeffrey K. Lyons. And when you do that, make sure you give us a five-star rating, follow, and send our podcast link out to one to two like-minded friends. That's how we continue to expand the Narrative Wars posse. You are the reason why we do this program. And now let's continue. Moving to our next piece, Republican Congressional Representative George Santos was expelled from Congress after a scathing report from the House Ethics Committee, which came out last month. Let's take a listen to this, cut number three. For just the sixth time in American history, the House of Representatives voted to expel one of its own members. Embattled former Congressman George Santos was ousted in a bipartisan vote Friday after the House Ethics Committee released a scathing report last month. Santos's colleagues on the committee accused the New York congressman of using campaign funds to pay for personal expenses, among other ethics violations. CBS News political campaign reporter Torian Small is on Capitol Hill. Torian, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Jeff. With the ouster of George Santos, the 118th Congress has made history yet again, voting to expel a member who has not been convicted of a crime. And as his time on Capitol Hill comes to an end, his legal challenges remain. In light of the expulsion of the gentleman from New York, Mr. Santos, the whole number of the House 
is now 434. More than 100 of his fellow Republicans joined nearly all Democrats voting to make Santos one of only three U.S. House members to be expelled since the Civil War. Today, at least, uh, democracy prevailed. Though members of the GOP leadership working with a slim majority voted for him to stay, arguing he hadn't been convicted. I'm, I'm not going to vote to expel now, that last full voice you heard was Representative Jim Jordan, and he said, I'm not going to vote to expel Santos. Now, the final tally on this vote to expel Santos, George Santos, from the United States Congress was 311-114. They needed two-thirds of Congress to expel him. Santos pleaded not guilty to 23 federal fraud charges and has not been tried. This all from an article in The Guardian. This is December 1st, 2023. And there was, of course, a damning report that came out from the House Ethics Committee recently. A majority of Republicans, 112 of 222, they voted to not expel Santos. Five didn't vote, 105 supported the motion. So it's important to understand that even the Republican uh, caucus itself did not vote. In support of this measure to expel Santos. The only way that he was able to be expelled was that a majority of Democrats voted for it. A couple other observations. Santos was expelled and the seat is now vacated. They're going to hold a special election uh, in New York. And I believe it needs, it is scheduled uh, to be completed within the next 90 days. The slim Republican majority in the House has now been reduced by one seat. A couple questions here. What happened to innocent until proven guilty? Santos was not convicted of a crime. What happened to letting the citizens of his congressional district in New York decide? I mean, clearly they were going to decide because we have an election coming up within a year. Well, I'm not a huge fan of Santos myself. I don't live in his district. I don't live in the state of New York. But I have enough faith in the process to believe that Santos, like Liz Cheney, would lose his seat in the next election. It was only a matter of time. So was this really necessary? Is this what we're doing now? Guilty before proven guilty in a court of law? Are Republicans now to be known for expelling their own members before those members have been tried in a court of law? Goodness, there are many Democrats who have been indicted for charges, but the Democrats, for some odd reason, don't expel their own. What about Senator Menendez and all the charges against him? No, he's still there. He hasn't been expelled. Well, because Chucky Schumer wouldn't bring it to the floor. But Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, who controls the gavel in the U.S. Congress, did bring this to the floor. So I'm not really sure why he did, 
but he did. And now we have a new election to replace him within the next 90 days. Democrat Governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, said she was, quote, prepared to undertake the solemn responsibility of filling the vacancy in New York's third district. The people of Long Island deserve nothing less. Well, I'm sure Kathy Hochul would like to see, more than anything else, a Democrat fill that seat. And for the Republicans to be even weaker in terms of barely holding on to the majority in the United States Congress. And now our final segment, which we like to call the bigger picture. Bob Dylan, the folk hero, singer, songwriter of the 1960s, he wrote a song in 1979 called Gotta Serve Somebody. The point of the song, if you haven't heard it, was that everybody serves some higher authority in their lives. In this day and age when so many are rejecting religion, young people are turning to a secular religion. And that religion is saving the planet through adherence to climate activism. This may or may not be your story, but if it is your story, then the words that I'm speaking now are very disturbing. To use an illustration drawn from the Matrix trilogy of movies, it's like the protagonist Neo in the movies who is suddenly faced with the choice to take two pills. The red pill opened the eyes of the seeker to the truth behind the lies of the Matrix. In contrast, the blue pill represented embracing the illusion of reality and choosing to not think critically about what was really taking place in the world. Well, I'm not Morpheus, and we're not inside the Matrix trilogy of movies. That being said, there is a pervasive, inescapable meta-narrative of anthropogenic climate change. This is the climate change directly related to human activity. One can choose to continue to embrace this narrative or listen to thousands of other courageous scientists that push back against it. People like Dr. Patrick Moore, founder of Greenpeace, climate scientist Dr. Judith Curry, and Nobel-winning physicist Dr. John Clauser. These, along with thousands of scientists who have signed the World Climate Declaration and other similar documents. All I can do is present the facts. Narrative Wars is a program dedicated to unmasking the psychological operations and the psychological activities that are unleashed upon Americans and the citizens around the world. The goals of the climate activism PSYOP are many, and we'll unpack many of them in future episodes of Narrative Wars. The important thing at this point is to stop, consider, and ask yourself, do I want to know the truth? Sort of like Neo in The Matrix. Am I willing to dig deeper? Am I willing to listen to an entirely different group of people, a different group of scientists and experts who are saying something which is contrary 
which is antithetical to the mainstream climate change narrative? Do I have an open mind to think critically about the issue? Or would I rather choose to just take the blue pill, avoid confrontation, and go along with the crowd? Again, the choice is yours. All I can do is present the other side of the story and the facts that support it. You must decide what to do with the information that is before you. The comforting thought is that we still live in a country where we have freedom to think and speak up for what we believe in. This is the legacy of the land of the free and the home of the brave, a place where we can still proclaim liberty throughout the land. And that's a comforting thought. Until next time for Narrative Wars, I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons. People are sick and tired So tired